Hey, thank you very much. Now, let me ask you this. How's everyone's hair growing? <laughs> um, those of you who are familiar with Willie Nelson will appreciate that I'm wondering whether I'm going to grow a pigtail. <laughs> Even get a... Uh, while I'm waiting for a haircut. Um, you possibly haven't heard of a guy by the name of Ralph Barton. He rose to fame as a cartoonist in the early 1900s. And he was a great friend with Charlie Chapman. And as his profile uh, grew, so did his fame and fortune. He married four times, would you believe? And in 1931, after the collapse of his fourth marriage, he took a gun and put it pointed at the right temple of his head and he shot himself. But before he committed suicide, he wrote this. I've had few difficulties, many friends, great successes. I've gone from wife to wife and house to house, visited great countries of the world, but I'm fed up with inventing devices to fill up 24 hours of the day. Why is it that people end up like this? And why is it that even you and I can sometimes even have a shadow of that on our life where we ask ourselves, well, what am I really doing with my life? Um, well, where is my marriage going? How, how can I just do something in terms of being meaningful to my kids? And I think that the passage we're going to read today helps answer those questions. And if you've got your Bibles in front of you, you're going to need to have them there as we go through this passage. And it teaches us two things. One, how to love, and two, how to live. First of all, how to love. It has been clinically proven that love shown to a child impacts their physical growth. And it would be just as true to say that within the family of God, that where love is shown, it impacts our spiritual growth. True? And if you and I are wanting that we would see our own personal families grow, our church family grow, our small group grow, our ladies group, men's group, youth group grow, then we need to understand what it therefore means in how to love. And Paul, in these opening verses here, reminds us through the Thessalonians of what it is to love. First of all, he says, notice this, in the start of the passage, now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have, and then it has this curious expression, have been taught by God. It is God who teaches us to love. Um, you know that well-known verse in Romans 5, verse 5, where it says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And that word poured is a fascinating word. It's actually a violent word. It's the same word that was used when Judas put a rope around his neck and hung himself and his body burst open. It is the same word. Um, it's, it's interesting. If you ever watch the news and you see those massive floods in places like Europe and you see water sliding down a mountainside through a town and 
and cars bobbing around like little toys in a bath because the water is so violent. It's, it's that picture of love which has been poured into your heart and my heart when we came to know Christ. And so I ask myself this question, why is it, for example, that say a mum with, I don't know, five kids who loves Jesus will work in obscurity and devote herself to her children and feel fulfilled versus some high flyer who lives 25 hours a day. Everyone knows them, but deep inside their lives, there is that lack of fulfillment. And the reason is, is that the mother knows Jesus and has that love poured out in her heart and is content with the situation that God has called her to. And I want you to know that the love that is spoken about here isn't a try harder love. It isn't a, I'll try harder to love. I'll try harder to forgive. I'll try harder to give grace. I'll try harder to give mercy. Because that's what the non-Christian would do, isn't it? Isn't that true? But within us who love Jesus, it is instinct. It is a reflex because God has taught us to love. I saw that in my own family. Um, don't talk about this much, but um, my mum had an affair when I was 10 or 11 years old. I didn't know this. And my dad forgave her and took her back. Six years later, she had another affair. She didn't know Jesus and Dad did. And Dad, Dad, Dad took her back. And three months after that, I was baptised as a 16-year-old and she came to know Jesus. Would that have happened if the love which is supernatural within your heart and within my heart have happened? I doubt it. This love is a reflex that God has put in your heart and mine. And the second thing I want you to notice is it says, and in fact, you do love, now notice this word, all of God's family throughout Macedonia. That little word all shows us that God's love and the love that is within us is a love which is without exception. All. You love all the people in Macedonia. There's no exception. And I guess... I would have to admit, and I guess you'd have to admit too, that times when you look and seeping under the doorway into your heart and staining the carpet of your heart can be moments where there is an exception. You know, um, that teacher that treated you unfairly when you were younger, you've never forgot, forgotten it. Those words that your mum or your dad or Maybe even your husband or wife has said to you, and you've never forgotten it. There's times when your siblings have not respected you and you've never forgotten it. And you say, Rob, you say that it's meant to be natural within us. There's no reflex within my heart to do that. I, I can't do it. And I say, yes, you can, because God's love is within you. And you can give forgiveness. We'll talk about how in a second. And the third thing I want you to notice, it says, 
Paul says to the Macedon, the no, Macedonians, not the Macedonians, the Thessalonians, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. To do what? To love more. That's the third aspect of love. Um, it's not only God teaches us to love, it's not only without exception, but despite the incredible love that these Thessalonians had, they could do more. In other words, this love of God, which is in your heart and my heart, grows. And we have a part to play in that. The Greek word for urge there is the word parakaleo, from which paraclete comes or the Holy Spirit. And it literally means to come down beside and to call out, to call out. And that's what Paul's doing. He's, he's not taking a position as possible. He's coming down beside um, the Thessalonians and he's calling out and saying, love more, love more. How do we grow in love? Try harder? No, no, no. That's what the non-Christian does. And that doesn't work. How? Well, you know that golden oldie verse in, verse in, John, in John 14, 15. If you love me, you can finish it, can't you? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. What releases love and helps us grow in love and lets God teach us to love more is obedience. Or if it's more palatable, let's take the word surrender. Um, you show me someone who is resisting the prompting of God's spirit to do something or to say something or to go somewhere or to give something and they're being prompted by God's spirit to do that and they resist. And I will show you a person who isn't growing in love. And that love which is meant to be pouring through our hearts suddenly through disobedience becomes damned, clogged and withers up and become dry as some of those mud pancake places in the middle of Australia where the desert is. So I guess you need to ask yourself, and I need to ask myself this morning, is there anything that God is asking me to do and that I'm not doing? It's a dangerous thing to resist God's spirit because it impacts your capacity to love. So that's how to love. Secondly, how to live. Well, Paul's been telling the Thessalonians <clears throat> not only how to love, but how to live. And I, I love this. It's, it's just, it's, it's just, one of those passages of scripture which you can't mistake it. It's like um, a, a father rolling up his sleeves <laughs> at the kitchen table, staring down his teenage son or daughter who had been misbehaving and landing it <laughs> right on the end of their nose. You listen to this. Um, make your ambition to lead a quiet life and then listen to this. You should mind your own business and work with your, hand, work with your hands. Couldn't get much blunted, could you? Just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you'll not be dependent on anybody. Now, of course, you guys have been doing this learning, so I guess you will know the background as to why Paul would say these things. Um, Paul, let me read from Barclay. He says this. Paul urges the Thessalonians to keep calm, to mind their own business, and to go on working with their hands, 
the breaching of the second coming had produced an odd and awkward situation in Thessalonica. Many of the Thessalonians had given up their daily work and were standing about in excited groups, upsetting themselves and everybody else while they waited for the second coming to arrive. Ordinary life had been disrupted. The problem of making a life had been abandoned and Paul's advice was preeminently practical. Can you hear the Thessalonians? They're sitting around and, and someone says, I'm not paying my mortgage this month. <laughs> Jesus is coming back. The other one says, yeah, my lawn's been getting a bit long, but no, nah, I'm not going to cut my lawn. The Lord's coming back. Ah, oh, I should have my car service this month. <laughs> nah, I won't do it. The Lord's coming back. It's not worth it. It's, that's why Paul unwinds from a long way off and gives it to them. But interestingly, he, he prefaces it by saying, lead a quiet life. What is quiet life? To walk around like this? What is it to have a quiet life? Well, in a nutshell, he summarises what it is in this passage. He says it. One, one, mind your own business. How would you feel if I said that? I bump into you down down at um, Walworths or Carlson as we're walking through. I say, hi. Hey, mind your own business. What would you think? It's brutal and confronting. Well, one of the, <coughs> the joys of lockdown up here in Hillsville, we're not allowed to go and I haven't been more than 5K out of Hillsville for about nine weeks now. As if I go 5K one way, I'll hit Mount Riddell. I go 5Ks another way, I'll go in a bush, I'll go 5Ks another way and I end up in waterlogged paddocks. So, got a bit of time on my hands. <laughs> so Pam and I, you know, we cruise through having lunch together and we <clears throat> sit and have lunch and we've got big windows around our place and we stare out the window and I can say, look at Eleanor across the road there. How long has she been weeding that one patch? <laughs> and they'll say, there's that girl that goes, but she's an unusual girl, isn't she? I wonder what's going down with her. Oh, Pam, did you hear that? The neighbours have come home. <laughs> I can hear their kids running up and down the corridor of their house next door. They're so loud. <laughs> what am I doing? Because I can have a bit of time on time I'm at. I mind other people's business instead of my own. And that's what the Thessalonians were doing. And when you mind other people's business, you say, oh, I don't do that. Oh, hear me out. When you mind other people's business, you are looking at other people. You're looking at how they behave, arriving at your own decisions. And as you do that, um, it's amazing what will creep into your mind. Do you know, my, my kids are better behaved than these. You know, their marriage is better than ours because they got some money. Gee, I wish I had their superannuation. You know, so, that guy's so lucky to have that job. Mine's just driving me nuts. It's boring. You see, that kind of thinking is minding other people's business. I take a great big 
I love raspberry cheese. Do you like cheesecake? I love cheesecake. <laughs> take a great big piece of raspberry cheesecake, okay? And take a slice out of it. And imagine that cheesecake is your mind. And if I took a slice out of your thinking of this week, how much of your thinking has been comparing yourself with others? And in that process, not minding your own business. You and I have a quiet life. Then we need to mind what God has called us to do rather than what God has, other, God has called others to do. And then, then lastly, he says, work with your hands. Because the problem was, he, the reason he said this is obvious, isn't it? That the, um, they had time in their hands, they weren't doing anything. He says, get out and work with your hands. Do what God's called you to do. And, you know, it's interesting. Work is part of our DNA. And even before Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, so before sin entered the world, listen to what Genesis says. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden, chapter 2, verse 15 of Eden, to work it and to take care of it. Work is part of the image of God which has been made in us. And when we get to heaven, we're not going to be sitting around in deck chairs, supping, sipping iced tea with our sunnies on. We, well, listen to what 2 Timothy says. If we endure, we also will reign with him. We will be reigning in heaven. Revelation talks about us being at the throne room of God, ruling with him. God works. And we're made in the image of God. And therefore, we work. Therefore, if I'm not doing what God is wanting me to do, a little bit like a beautiful Rolls Royce sitting in a car park that is never, ever driven and is just rusting away. And that's why sometimes there are people who have that sense of discontentment, like Ralph Barton, in their life because they have never found what God wants them to do. I love how, how um, the message puts it. Um, you know, when Ed Peterson summarises this, he says, um, um, they lie around sponging up their friends. <laughs> or Paul puts it uh, more accurately in um, the version there, and he says, and so that you'll not be dependent on anybody. And when a person is not doing what God wants them to do, and they get idle, and, and these times give us more time in our hands, don't they? And we're idle. Then we will have that sense of lack of fulfillment if we aren't working with our hands to what God's called us to do. I came across a, a delightful saying, um, and it says this. <laughs> Granny used to say, a lot of people want to carry the stool when there's a piano to be moved. <laughs> I like that. I like it. And the reason I like it is because if God has called me to do something, then I must do it. But so frequently, and I'm ashamed to admit this, there are times when I can sulk or can be resistant to what God's called me to do. And I don't accept the situation that I'm in and what God's called me to do. 
And you know what I did? I carried the stool, not the piano. I don't work with all of my heart. You had moments like that? Where you, there's something within you that's angry or whatever it is, that, and you're just resistant to what God's calling you to do. And you haven't accepted that. And if you do that, then let me tell you, the result of it will be is don't fool yourself. People will notice. People will notice if you're not working with all your hands as a parent. People will notice if you're not working with your hands as a member of this church. People will notice if you're a small group leader and you're half. People notice. And that's why Paul says, we want you living in a way that will grant, command the respect of outsiders. And that's even sadder, isn't it? People outside of Christ will know and see the discontent in our hearts when we're not living that quiet life of working with our hands, of minding God's business instead of our own. Let me finish off the things. Thanks for listening so well. I've got a story. I hope I haven't gone too far over time, but I've got a story to finish with. John Wesley. No, John Wesley is. He's a, a great Methodist preacher. He started the whole Methodist movement. Evangelist. Preached to thousands in the fields in the UK. But before that, on one occasion, he was going over to America to evangelise the Indians. Right? So he's crossing the Atlantic. And there are three massive storms that just have had demolished. And you can imagine what his boat would have been like in the 1800s. Just about demolished his boat. And then a fourth storm, fourth storm, storm came. And on board were some Moravian missionaries. They were a group that came out of Europe, loved Jesus, and they were going to America to be missionaries, just like Wesley. And there's this tremendous storm and there's a wave that crashes over the boat, snaps one of the masts, there's water pouring through the cabin, and guess what the Moravians decided to do? I decided to have a worship service. <laughs> so they're down in the bottom of the boat, there's water everywhere, and they're, they're, the ladies and kids and the men are down there, and they're simply and quietly worshipping Jesus. And, and Wesley writes in the rest of his diary, I was much terrified. <laughs> There's water everywhere. And when they stormed the boat and they survived, and Wesley eventually got to America, he said to some Moravians, he said, were you afraid? And they said, no, we weren't. And he said, what about your... Women and children, were they afraid? Because all the passengers have been screaming on board the ship. And he said, no, they weren't. And you know, strange as it may seem, Wesley wasn't a Christian at that stage. He had religion, like only they could have in the 1800s. But he didn't know Jesus. He knew about him. And he didn't have this peace, and it was part of a turning point in his life, which eventually brought him to Jesus. 
can, can I just say, in conclusion, and very lovingly, is it possible that the reason there is a discontentment in your life is because you know about Jesus, but don't know him? And if that is the case, I would urge you, grab hold of someone who does know Jesus. Say, how can I come to know this contentment? And he will show you how to love and how to live. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for these terrific verses. Thank you that there are times when you pick up a sledgehammer and hit it <laughs> just to snap us out of those moments of self-pity and our sense of discontentment. And we pray, Father, that you would, during this week, teach us even more so how to love and teach us even more so how to live, finding what your business is and working at it with all of our hands. In Jesus' name, amen.